0: So glad that you guys are here this morning. Uh, as Tim said earlier, thanks for, thanks for being here. We know that you, you know, on a summer day in Oregon, it is hard to come and sit in a room that's slightly cool enough, uh, and so uh, we're, just, we're just glad that you're here, and we enjoy being with you, we enjoy worshiping with you, um, with all of us together, and so um, excited for what the Lord is doing in uh, our church. So we're in the book of 1 John. And uh, so you can turn there with me. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 there. And uh, so I've, I've told you a couple weeks ago that 1 John has not been my favorite book of the Bible, in part because I, I've always kind of felt like it's a little bit legalistic. It's like, do this or you're going to hell. Like that's that's kind of how I felt like it was it was talking and and so forth. And and so and obviously as I've gotten older and matured in my spiritual walk. I obviously have not seen it in that way, but for many years, that's the way that I viewed it. But one thing that I think is incredibly important and great about this book of the Bible is that it really communicates to us that like, hey, if you know Jesus, like if, you, if you're walking with Jesus, like if you have given your life to him, if God is, has saved you, you've trusted in him, then your life should look differently. It should look different than the people around you. And in fact, there should be a stark contrast between you and the people that are around you. And so many times what we find ourselves doing is that Christians do not want to stand out. We've had enough of these idiots that have been on the street corners in the, in the suits yelling at people and things like that. And so we're like, hey, I just want to blend in, don't want to be a moron, and so I'll just like go to work and it'll be cool. It'll be, it'll be just fine. But First John is saying you don't need to be a moron to love Jesus. You don't don't need to look like that necessarily, but your life should have a stark contrast to it. And so John, the author of this book, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has been speaking some things to us. And so I'm praying that you've been hearing it and listening to it. And so it says this, John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So this passage is a little bit confusing at times. And, and I would say 1 John in many ways can be somewhat confusing. And so we must dig into it. We must look at it. And so the first thing that you need to notice is in verse 15, it says, do not love the world. Now, this is by uh, John, but John also wrote the Gospel of John. And so John also has a really famous verse uh, that he got from Jesus, uh, which says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so what we have to ask is, John, should we love the world because God loves the world, or should we not love the world? John, what in the world are you talking about? And so what John is talking about here is that there's two senses of the word world. There's two senses that he's talking about. There's the world that that God loves. There's, the, there's his created world, there's his intent behind his creation, and primarily that love extends to his image bearers. In the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth and, and all of that stuff, but then he created man in his own image. And so as image bearers, we are loved by God, and God loves the world so much That he gave us the gospel. We talk about the gospel all the time. We talk about the gospel in every song that we sing. We talk about the gospel in uh, the introduction to the service. We talk about the gospel constantly because it is important. It is important because the gospel shows us how image bearers can be in right relationship with God. It shows us how all of humanity matters, that God loves us so much, that he gave, that God gives. He loves so much that He gives to us. And so what we can become confused with is what does it actually mean to not love the world? What does it actually uh, communicate to us? There is a, a, an incredible misunderstanding when it comes to what's going to happen to this world and, and how all of that's going down. We uh, uh, I guess, it, I think it might have been last summer. It's been a little while. I can't remember exactly. But we did a series on the kingdom of God, showing how the kingdom of God, the idea of the kingdom of God, what Jesus uh, talks about when he comes into his ministry. He comes in and he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom of God is at hand. And he comes in and he says, hey, hey, it's here. It's here. The kingdom of God is here. And so there's kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. And what is it talking about? Well, it's talking about really what this world is all about, what God's intent is, and what he is doing here and now. The kingdom relates to this because of this. When we think about the world, many Christians today believe through some very uh, ridiculous books that have incredible speculation and bad theology in them. Um, I won't ma- mention their name, uh, but uh, you can just guess for a moment here. I'd love to mention their name. I can't remember it right now, but um, in, in any case, uh, so uh, th- this bad theology that comes in and says, you know what? The whole thing's burning up. It's all going to hell, literally in a handbasket almost, and so it's, it's going to burn up, and so why would we even care about everything that's going on here? And what it causes is it causes Christians to say, you know what, who gives a rip about God's created world? Who gives a rip about what's happening here? And so uh, many Christians tend to be conservative in their political beliefs. And so what we end up taking is this, this antithetical view to creation than what god has because god puts adam and eve in the garden to take care of the garden to take care of creation he gives them the job of taking care of creation now i am not some kind of massive bleeding heart uh you know environmentalist uh or something like that but something that we should take from this is that god's created world is a good world and his kingdom is coming to restore this world we're not going up uh to heaven we the kingdom is coming to us. The kingdom is coming down. So how do we love the world in the way that God intended us to love the world? Well, we love it properly. We love it properly. There's another issue, and that is that uh, because this world is so bad and it's, and it's so awful, we should be ascetics, or ascetics is uh, perhaps how you say that. And then we talked about that a couple weeks ago, that, that people who are ascetics, uh, they drink LaCroix and they eat kale and things like that. And so they they, uh, they like punishing themselves, and they, it's, it's just, it's horrible. It's just, it's awful. That's probably the last time that joke's going to work, so enjoy it, but uh, <laughs> um, in, in any case. So ascetics are, are people that, that, that are a lot like, you know, many Christians today. In, in John's day, there was uh, some problems with theolo- bad theology working into the church, much like today. And so there are people that say, uh, you know what? Avoid everything. Don't have pleasure. Just, uh, just stay in your little bubble and and do do your own thing, and uh, homeschool and do all that. Sorry, homeschoolers. I'm sorry. I have some friends, lots of friends. In fact, people on our staff homeschool their kids, but um, and I love them and they're great and they're not weird, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's just, uh, Totally derailing myself right now Aesthetics. There we go. Okay So they they are people who try to avoid all things at all costs anything having to do with secular music now I grew up a little bit like that. Sorry mom uh, a little bit I was not allowed to listen to secular music and so in my life contraband was like The uh, rock group poison, all right? Every rose has its thorn. You guys don't remember that song? Am I dating myself? Yeah, whoop whoop, there we go, all right, all right. There we go, like Poison, there was uh, Def Leppard. I just went and saw Def Leppard in concert a little while ago. I'm pretty sure my ears were bleeding. You think your ears were hurting this morning? You have no idea. I'm standing uh, on the other side of the stadium. I mean, like other end of the Rose Garden. I mean, as far away as you could possibly be. I'm, you know, about a little bit above the stage. I could not believe how bad my ears hurt. But anyway, back to my life as an ascetic. I was not allowed to listen to Def Leppard, but I loved Def Leppard. And uh, so we would have tapes. And we would hide them and just you know stow them in every nook and cranny and as soon as mom and dad left they would go into the uh hi-fi system whatever that was and we would just crank those babies but we were not allowed to listen to secular music but this is it's kind of typical of what happens in christianity we avoid all things that could possibly be pleasurable rather than looking at the idea that insofar as things are or not damaging to us, that these are examples of God's good gifts glorifying him in and through this artist that doesn't even know that they're glorifying him. They're glorifying his creation. They're glorifying his world. When you look at art and you look at all kinds of things and people's skills and abilities at leadership or just being a good parent, like these are things that glorify God. And yet ascetics are people that say, you know what, we're not going to get involved in this world. I once met someone that wanted to create a show that was called uh, Family Fortress. And it was about a Christian family that stowed away out in like some desert enclave and they uh, stayed away from from the culture God loves the world and so we should love the world that he has created now so what is what is the problem when he says do not love the world or the things in the world the things in the world kind of helps describe that for us it helps show us what this actually means it's saying we we shouldn't love the world as though it is the only thing that exists as though it is the only thing that matters, as though uh, loving uh, this creation to the exclusion of God is what we should be doing. See, people who are environmentalists love the creation, the good creation. They love the good gifts of God, yet they love it to the exclusion of God. They're loving the world at the expense of God. They don't just love creation, they live for creation. Instead of living for the God that made the creation, they live for creation. You see this in Romans chapter one, where it talks about how instead of honoring and glorifying the God of the universe who created all things, they worship and serve the created thing rather than the creator who's forever blessed. That, what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter one, is the root problem of all Christianity. And I think I say this in every sermon but I I I think that this is that this really gets at the heart of where we're at Christians. It's like, what are we supposed to do when you got these fanatical so-called Christians, people who claim to be Christians on the street, and you're like, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be that person that stands out and condemns people all the time and and says all these things. And so we kind of keep to ourselves. But as we're keeping to ourselves, instead of uh, exhibiting the qualities that God has called us to exhibit, we become more and more like the world. We become more and more ingrained in it. And so pretty soon we begin to love the world at the expense of the the creator who created the world. We begin to love the world instead of really honoring and serving God with the good gifts that he's given us. Tim Keller says, instead of loving to eat, we live to eat. Instead of loving uh, money as a good gift from God, we live to make money. Instead of loving our family in light of who God is and how he's blessed us with this family. We live for our family. Instead of, instead of loving the gifts that God has given us at you know, whatever it is, uh, entrepreneurship or leadership or, or, or art or music or whatever that is, we live for those things. It's like our life is just ingrained with this idea that this is what, who we are and what we do. And so what Christians find themselves doing so many times is that we find ourselves in this place where we're, where we're saying, you know, God, I will serve you. I will serve you, but there is an ulterior motive there. I'll serve you, God, so that my life goes better. And even though there's, even though we, we know sometimes that that's what we tend to do, we, there's still just this ulterior motive that's in our heart that just says, you know, I, God, I just want you to, I want my life to go well. I want it to go well and so I I'm I'm going to give you whatever I think that you want. I'm going to give you what I think you deserve. And we 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 drastically miss the mark. We drastically miss the mark because God does not want <coughs> our worship of him in order to get something from him. God desires us to worship him because he is him because he is God, because he is the only king forever. He is the one who is worthy of worship. He wants us to see his value. But then we also recognize something that when we live life according to who God is, that life does seem to go better at times. But then there's, in other ways, life can seem to go bad, because you can lose your job for holding a biblical position on marriage. You can lose your job or your life or your spouse or your whatever it is in this world today because you have a biblical viewpoint. So it could go bad or it could go worse, but what the promise is this, is that you're gonna have peace through the good and through the bad. The promise is that. What we get confused on is we get confused on the the idea that somehow uh, we we find ourselves coming to church or coming to God or something like that to get his good things rather than coming to God because he's already given us good things. He's already, uh, and we end up living for the things that he's given us instead of living for him. So that is our main problem. He says this, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, you can read that in one of two ways. One way you could read that is like, hey, man, if you love the world, (laughs) uh, God doesn't love you. That's one of the ways that I, uh, you know, uh, traditionally misunderstood that passage, that somehow uh, God doesn't love me if I love the world. But that's not really what it's saying. What it is actually saying is this. It's saying that if anyone loves the world, uh, your love for the Father is not in there. Your love for the Father is not in you. Because as we all know, we've talked about this, where Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. You you can't serve one and the other. It's, It's one or the other. But we don't seem to get that. We don't seem to understand that. We don't seem to realize that. And I think one of the biggest problems, and I say this because this is the biggest problem with me. This is the biggest problem with my heart, with who I am, is that my biggest problem is that I don't even see in my life where I am serving two masters sometimes. It just gets so covered over in the idea of, you know, I work in the church. I'm I'm a part of the church. And so everything I do is from God, right? No. Little secret there. There are times that, that I, as a, as a ministry leader, can act sinfully uh, for the world instead of for God. I can act for the, the acclaim and fame of Matt Porter. My name is Matt, by the way. Uh, I can work for me rather than for the love of God, to love him. And so what I have to understand is that I can't serve two masters, but the problem is, is, is that where do I serve two masters? Where do I live like this in my life? How do we find that? Well, he says right here, he says in verse 16, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desire of the eyes, or the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. So a couple things on this. So is this a list or is it a description of all of, just the whole ball of wax? And I think the answer is yes, it could be a list or it could just be an entire ball of wax. The thing that I've been racking my brain with over this last week is that God, God, where are the desires of my flesh crowding out uh, my love for you? Where am I living for this world? Well, it says, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. And it's not just desires. It's just like, you know, I kind of want this. The, The Greek word there is epithymios, I believe. And and the the word epi there is is really where we get our word epic. It's like it's an epic desire. We've talked about this a thousand times. It's not just a desire. It's an over-desire. It's not that you love something. It's that you live for something. It's like, I can't live without it. I have to have it. And so he's saying it's it's not just that it's a, a desire of the flesh, but it's a craving that's inherently in you. It's like your body, your, your system, your personality, it's inherently built into who you are. It's, it's inherently a part of uh, what makes you who you are on some level. But to, to say from that, okay, because I desire this, like I, I use the idea of leadership and entrepreneurship and things like that because in, in part, I, I'm in this place in life where I I just, you know, I've told you guys about how I just got done remodeling my house and, and that was an incredible project and before that I was, you know, I re- remodeled the church along with a ton of other people and these are big projects, I love these projects, I love to be a part of them and, you know, before that I was, you know, uh, helping to plant this church and, and all of these things. And so I, I love these things, but there's there's something about me that is now saying, What's next for Matt? What's next? I'm not going anywhere, I'm not leaving, anything like that. But what's my next project? What's the next thing that I'm after? What's the next thing that God has called me to work on? What's the thing that I really want? And so I've been racking my brain with that. I've been racking my brain. God, man, where do I love the world? Where do I love the world? I feel like I'm not going to have anything to say on Sunday. This is going to totally stink. You know, all of of this stuff. And then uh, last night I had to um, uh, officiate a wedding on a floating gazebo, uh, mind you. Uh, And uh, so that was slightly distracting. Great people. Uh, But but the gazebo was distracting. They weren't. So I did that, and then I was going to come home, and I'm still racking my brain. I mean, honest, I got to be honest with you. Like my sermon prep, it does happen during the week, but really, when I feel like God speaks to me, is like it's the eleventh hour. It is. It's like time's almost up. It's Saturday night, and I'm God saying, God, please give me something to say, and I'm just going, God, like what is going on here and so uh, me and my wife had gone to this wedding together and so uh, we're driving home she looks amazing like beautiful like I'm just like holy cow I look amazing Um, like I had a suit coat on and I don't know if if you know anything about me but I hate wearing suits hate it my wife was telling me last night, she says, I know about a week before you do a wedding that you're going to be upset because you're going to have to wear a suit. Now, if I married you wearing a suit, I'm sorry. I don't hate you. I hate the suit. But uh, so I, but I, so I, I got some, some dress jeans, if there is such a thing. So I did that, wore my boots, and, and I just felt like a million bucks. My wife looked like a billion bucks and and then she was like you know i was like i need to go home and finish up and like concentrate my wife was like hey let's go out and i'm like how can i like sermon prep or hanging out with my beautiful wife and i'm sorry you guys lost out my wife won at that point so if this stinks it's my wife's fault it's for my marriage right okay you'll understand but um so we went out uh having drinks and and uh just enjoyed each other's company it was it was so great But she said something that just like, I was like, dude, here's my sermon prep. So we're sitting there, like, so we've been busy. We've been really busy. Um, And we've been building and we've been, uh, you know, living life. And every waking moment is taken up in like building our house. And so like if I'm home or something like that, it's just like put on the nail bags, do something. I'm typically working on the house because we had to get our loan finalized and all of this stuff. And so there's pressure involved in that with finances and all of those things. And so we finally got the loan finalized and we can finally take a breath, which then puts me into this place of, I don't have this inherent stress. Well, guess what? I like stress. I like it. I like to be stressed out. It's weird, I know, but I, I, like, I like the intensity of going after something. And so my wife says to me last night, you know how you're saying what's next? And I, and I said, yeah, like what, do you, what is she about to say right now? Well, I think we should move to whatever, I don't know. It's not what she said. She said, I think we should focus on a new stage in our family. I think that's what's next. And I'm like, oh, Lord. This is it, this is it. Because here's the thing about me is that my craving, my natural inclination is that I love to lead things and I love to create things and I, and I love to build things. I love to build things. And I don't care if it's a, a church, even though Jesus is the one who builds his church, he's using me in some small facet of that. I love to build a house, whatever, and I'm using God's gifts and things like that. But the truth is about me is that those things Define me sometimes and I don't just love to build I live to build and I can feel the wheels turning inside of me And I can feel them starting to go man is am I? Discontent with what I'm doing right now. I'm starting to feel this discontentment I I feel it a little bit and I and I've got to find a new project I've got to find something and my wife reminded me of something and it's like God was shouting to me Matt Your love for the world comes even in the good things that you're doing, like just creating a home for your your family or creating a home church for people to be a part of. It's even in the good things that you have desired, Matt, that you are looking to the world. It's not that you love it, it's that you live for it. And my wife so graciously redirected me by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm sure, to be able to see that my my challenge can be and must be a new stage in our family that says, you know, things are changing for us. Our kids are getting older, we have to focus on that. See, my craving of the flesh, it's not just a desire, it's an over-desire, it's a lust, it's something like that, and even good things are working their way into that. So it's a craving that I have. That, that causes me to go after this, and after this, and after this. But then he talks about the lust of the eyes, and that is to covet the other things. So it's a craving, it's a, it's a coveting of the things outside of us. The way we were inherently made, the things that we see and that we want. But then the last thing is the pride of life. It's our accomplishments in life. Think about how that just, in, in, in all of my issues, since we're talking about me here for a minute. It's not just that it's in my flesh. It's that it's in my eyes. I see the things that I want, and I want to go after those. It's not just that it's in my eyes, but it's, it's in the pride of life. To say, look at what I built. Look at what I did. Ha, ha, ha. Aren't I amazing? It defines me. It causes me to feel good about myself. It brings about good feelings. Probably serotonin in my life keeps me from getting depressed. And that comes from me looking to me to fulfill me. And John says, do not love the world. Because if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And so I'm convicted that the love of the Father is not in me in that way, that that's, that's what I see in my life, that that I need to recognize where I covet, where I crave and where I look for accomplishment in my life. And so what I need to really understand is this, that all of these things the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Pay attention to this. Pay attention to this. Listen to this quote. Why would God give me these desires if he didn't want me to fulfill them? I love this person so much. I believe that I should engage in sexual contact with them. Why would God give me these desires if he doesn't want me to fulfill them? I mean, it's love. Isn't God love? God is love. That's love, so I should love them. Here we go. That is not from the Father, but is from the world. That is not from God. That is from the world. How is that? When we say if I have this desire, I should act on it. What we're saying is this, we're denying our fundamental need for Jesus Christ on the cross. We're denying our fundamental need to to receive Jesus Christ by faith as atonement for our personal sins. And not just the sins that we've committed while we've been alive, but the sins that humanity possesses as original sin. Quick theological point. When Adam and Eve sinned, all of us sinned. Because of our first parents' sin, all of us have sin inherently built in with us. Humanity is not fundamentally good. Humanity was created good, but it has distorted the goodness of god the image of god in us through the original sin of adam and eve and as a result of that it has permeated every part of us every desire every longing see sin is not just like you know punching an old lady or something you know just like really obviously well i haven't killed anybody today no sin is not just those kind of obvious things sin is not just loving your family, but living for your family. It's having an over-desire, a lust for the things of God at the expense of God. And so when we say, you know, why would God give me this desire, the answer is this, God did not give you that desire, God didn't give that to you. That came from the distorted desire image of God through our first parent sin, it has permeated every area of our life, and it has caused not just our actions, not just our thoughts, but every desire, every facet of life is covered by this original sin. Every area of, of our life is covered by this, and it causes us to even desire the wrong thing, to even desire something that seems good for the wrong reasons or the wrong person, or something like that. It is not from God, but it is from the world. And so he says, and the world is passing away along with its desires. This this thing is fleeting, it's here today, gone tomorrow. It's a little bit like when you buy an iPhone. Like here's what you should know when you buy an iPhone. Like you're gonna buy an iPhone, and it looks amazing, like it has all these incredible features and all of this stuff. But sooner or later, Apple is going to send you an update. And you're going to say, thank you, Apple, for sending me an update. Like, this is so nice of you. Like, you give away your software and stuff like that. And then, like, all of a sudden, your phone's not working as well, right? Anybody experienced that? It's a little thing called planned obsolescence. It's like, we'll give you a phone, and we're going to generously donate our software that is going to make your phone obsolete. Now, Who's to say whether they're doing that on purpose or what have you? But I would just imagine that in some crazy scheme, like they're trying to make more money, and so they uh, are doing this and making their phones like obsolete. So pretty soon, like your phone's just like working slower and slower and slower. And I am someone who's like, I'm not giving into this anymore. I'm not. I'm not buying a new phone. I got the iPhone six. I'm not. I'm going to wait till the iPhone sixty comes out, and then maybe I'll buy another one. I'm not giving into this planned obsolescence that they have. That i'm not giving into that it's a fatal flaw that's built into all things it's not just iphones it's not just macbooks it's not just com- you know computers in general it's everything has this nefarious plot behind it that says this it will all become obsolete everything will come to an end it will become less useful it will become less good it will become less of everything and here's what happens, For what's, what's it say? And the world is passing away along with its desires. All of that is going away. Everything that is against God, everything that is a part of that is going away. It is going to be obsolete. And here's what you have to know. That if you put your hope in something that has planned obsolescence, obsolescence if you put your hope in anything that has a fatal flaw in it that this this will not last it will not be forever it's not going to work forever you're simply just going after you're chasing the wind you're not going after the real thing see the thing that that Jesus offers Jesus offers that we would be completely fulfilled in Him. Jesus offers that instead of of us saying, my kingdom come and my will be done on earth as it is in heaven, instead of changing the, the Lord's prayer from saying, thy kingdom come and thy will be done to my kingdom come and my will be done, instead of saying, God, As it is in heaven, make it so in my life so that I can get paid, so that I can have the relationship, so that I can have whatever. That's what we're coming to God for. My kingdom come. My will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But what that is saying is this. is saying that is planned obsolescence. That is going away. It's passing away. It's fleeting. It's not going to last. And so what should... What should... We do. Well, here's the thing. Jesus, when he comes to earth and he leaves glory, and he leaves all of the real and tangible fulfillments of life, as God he's already fulfilled in and of himself, but he leaves all of that And when we're talking in Philippians, we're talking about how he humbles himself. And the humility that Jesus takes is that he takes on human nature. And when he takes on human nature, what happens is that he uh, allows himself to be subjected to the same worldly desires, the same over-desires, the lusts, the cravings, all of these things. He Subjects himself to that, and he takes on the nature, the form of a slave, even though he's God in the flesh, and he really experiences those things. And Jesus, as he's on his way to the cross, through that story, is saying to God the Father, he's saying, if it's possible, I want you to take this cup from me. But if not, Jesus subjects himself to the will of the Father. See, even Jesus, it's not that he was having second thoughts, it's that he's showing us something. He's showing us, like, this is not some type of cakewalk. I'm not a superhero that's just kinda like, ha ha, you punch me, yeah, do it again, you know. No, Jesus experienced it. And instead of saying, My kingdom come and my will be done. Jesus is saying, I want your will to be done. The Father's will to be done. Even though he's God in the flesh, he has every right, every authority, every ability to say, I'm gonna do what I want to do. He chooses to follow the Father, to do the will of the Father. And he goes to the cross. He goes to the cross. And he he endures massive pain, massive suffering of an excruciating death. And as he does that, he sees you concurrently in time. See, God is God and he, he can see the end as well as the beginning and it's all happening before him in any way that he wants. And so God can look down on Matt Porter and he can look down on you and he can see where you're at. And this is not like Santa Claus is coming to town you better watch out. You better not. You know, Jesus sees you. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about this. While I'm sinning against Jesus, while I'm living for the world that He created, and not just and not just kind of living for it, but it's an over desire. It's a craving. It's a lust. He's dying for me. He's bleeding out on the cross, and he's not just doing that because he just he. he you know, it, it's just you know, flippant for him. He's doing that because of his great love for you. He's doing that for his great love for you. He wants you to see how much He loves you. He wants you to understand. He wants you to know. He wants you to feel His love. He wants you to enjoy it. He wants you to live for it. He wants you to enjoy His good gifts and enjoy His creation and enjoy those things, but not live for them. Why? Because He died for you. He bled out for you. He died in your place. And so here's the thing, how do I not love the world or the things of the world? And how, and how will I do the will of God? How will I do this? I will do it by seeing what God did through his will for me. As I begin to put all of the other things that I des- desire and want and I put them in check. See, it's not wrong for me to want to build things. It's wrong for me to want to build things at the exclusion of God, to feed an over-desire. How do I put that in check? Well, it comes down to this. I'm seeking for the will of God in my life, and that is growing up out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is coming out. It is flowering in my life as I concentrate on the fact that my desires are tainted. My desires are tainted. And so, Lord, how how can I be perfected through your gospel by looking to that on a continual basis and asking for you to purify my heart, to purify my desires. How does that happen? Well, it happens in community. It's not just by yourself. It happens in community. I told you that my wife spoke into my life. Can your wife or can your husband speak into your life? If you're not married, do you have good friends that speak into your life? Do you, do you have a community group or a community of people that can speak truth to you and to say, man, I see worldly desires. I, I see that you're living for something, but you're not loving God in the midst of this. How do you do that? You need people that are going to point you back because you cannot live in isolation. This book is written to a church, no doubt. It's written to a church that's dealing with theological problems and issues. And so you and I deal with theological problems and issues, but we do it in isolation oftentimes. And you cannot live as a believer and grow very well in isolation. So are you living in isolation? Does anybody know your stuff? Does anybody know what's going on? How are they speaking into that? How are you living for God instead of for His things. My prayer is that you would understand, and I, I don't think I've even scratched the surface entirely, because that, that verse, I think that verse has got legs in my life for a long time, in fact, for eternity, but, uh, but really right now as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking, you know what? I need to really examine my life. My hope is that you would examine your life. Do not love the world. Where am I loving the world instead of Jesus? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, my prayer this morning is that you would convict us, and Lord, that you would empower us through your spirit to do an amazing work in our lives Lord, this self-examination and the examination by our community the people that love us and care about us Lord is is so critical in our lives and so Lord I'm asking this morning that we would avail ourselves to your word and to the community that is surrounding your word your church your people and Lord that we would examine ourselves in truth and that we would be examined in truth That, Lord, you would purify your church here, this church, this church community, this body, outward church in Salem, and, Lord, even beyond us, in, uh, in the city of Salem, that, Lord, that you'd purify our desires, that, Lord, we would desire you above all things, that, Lord, all of your good gifts would live in light of who you are. So Lord, would you, would you move on us? Would you empower us? Would you change us from the inside? Lord, there's, there's many of us in this room that are so sure, we, we know that we are loving the world. God, would you, would you move on their hearts? Would you help them just take the first step? to just say, I need to make changes. Lord, that they'd tell someone, that they'd fill out a connection card, that they would email us this week, that they'd just put a stake in the ground and say, man, I want to be in community. I need to be asked about these things. I need to walk with Jesus. Lord, would you give them the courage to do so? Give them the character to do so. It's in your name we pray, amen.